Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Frank Zappa, Chile, London, Barcelona, gin, being a punk, being connected to nature, and more. Today's guest is the amazing Jorge Balbontin, working for Gin Marais, traveling the world, talking about this fine Spanish gin, the complexity of flavors, and so much more. He's been in this industry a really long time, worked at Cafe Pacifico with Mr. Tomas Estes in London. And he's a very interesting guy, very pensive, very philosophical. It was a great chat. You know, I didn't know what to expect here. And we sat having a martini at Backbeat here in Austin, Texas. And it was the perfect, lowly lit situation to get to know this fine gentleman. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoyed this great chat with Jen Murray's Jorge Balbontin. Well, this is kind of the, it is the longest trip that I'm doing this year. My yeah. job is uh, the one of traveling and trying to not only activate the markets, but also trying to understand what the market has to say. That's right. Get the best possible readings for that. And from there, trying to turn that into something that it will be kind of a 360 operation. Right. What we try to do as producers, what we try to do as producers is not only to sell a nice juice in a nice bottle. Yeah. We try to offer 360 solutions. We believe that if your business makes a good business with us, then your consumer or your guests should be happy with what's happening. Mm. So my job is to try to get the readings from each individual market and then being able to go back to them and offer them possibilities. Right. Now, this is the longest trip that I'm doing in the entire year. Uh, but it's due, it's necessary. We've been now for a year and a half, nearly two years in the market in the U.S. Yeah. We have done little bits. We participated in sales of the cocktail. I did a little trip, including San Francisco and L.A. last year. But now I'm doing an entire month. So Do you feel like a rock star at this point? New no, city every day. I don't wake up in a... Um, Hotel bed with uh, <laughs> naked girls and po- Polaroids and that You haven't kind of thrown thing. a TV out a window? Are you sure? Yeah, right. I have done that. Okay. <laughs> but that's a different story. A different story <laughs> altogether. <laughs> well, what do, you, what do you like about being on the road? Well, it's a number of things that they have their perks, you know. I mean, it gives you a lot of independency. Um, the job that I have and uh, the people that I work with and for, uh, no. they don't question what I'm up to today or tomorrow. Right. They're just asking me to bring results. They're asking me to shake the market a little bit and try to bring the readings that I was saying before. Yeah. So when I'm doing that, you know, I work in a very independent way. Uh, I just get aligned with the person who has the, re- the commercial responsibility. But I get to see, man, some of the best bars in the world. Right. Uh, some of the up-and-coming new bartenders try to understand the new year generation. Right. And hopefully try to understand, you know, the game ahead of the, you know, 
ahead of the game. Right, kind yeah. of out there discovering the yep. new trends, discovering the new personalities. Yep. I mean, yeah. in a way, it's kind of a return to a previous chapter for you because before you did brand work, you were behind the stick all the time. Yep. Does, does it make you miss it, talking to these people that are so creative and creating these things behind the bar? Yes and no. The good thing that one of the perks that I get as well by doing the job that I do is that whenever I consider necessary uh, as a tool, I utilize my humble knowledge or my experience that I have from being behind the bar, mm. and I just jump behind the stick. I'll get organized. I throw a little guest bartending. You know, I have plenty of friends that they're happy to have me behind the bar. Sure, sure. So, you know, I get to spend a night or two or three or five, if I want to, right. behind the bar. So I still get that interaction in a one-to-one -one base in a loud place, you know, where things are thriving. Yeah. But, you know, if you have to look at it from the top, my job is more daytime than nighttime now. And that is fine. Numbers, yeah. right? Spreadsheets and things, because you got to look at the market data and what you're pushing through and all I that, I have to right? do some of that as well. I think the majority of my um, admin work yeah. has to do with follow-up. Right. It's very important that if I go to visit, say, for example, Yoba, it cannot be just that I go there, spend time, and woe you with ideas, concepts, or knowledge if I'm not capable of following up and being able to provide you with the right. necessary after work. Well, so from what, what were early days in Chile before you moved, there was London, there's Barcelona now too. Did you ever imagine, because you were a philosophy major at some point, right? Is that correct? I was just studying and I quit it. Can you... How does one even go in this direction where things seem so confined, they seem so organized now from the, the process of just thinking? Is it you? Have you grown up? Is it changing? I suppose I have grown up, but I, don't, I, mean, I am not particularly the man with the plan. Yeah. Okay, I don't no. plan ahead. No, I am you not. You seem re like pr relatively organized, talking about following up and doing this. Track. Being organized in a day-to-day -day basis and being committed to the objectives that I might have both personally and professionally is one thing. Yeah. Being able to work with the, you know, your wish list, your bucket list of saying, you know, in three years' time, this will happen. In right. five years' time, this will happen. It's not my thing. Okay, I'm not saying that it's really? good or... No. Would, uh, in the moment more? I am a little bit more of a spare-of-the-moment guy, but also what I like to believe is that I have learned to have the sensibility to read what is in front of me mm. and try to make a decision out of that. Yeah. Should I turn left? Should I turn right? But if I decide to turn left instead of right, I will follow that path for quite some time. Whether if I'm right or wrong, time will tell. Uh, would you consider yourself stubborn in those ambitions? Yes. <laughs> Where does that come from? Is that something that... You learned from your father, your probably parents. genetic. Yeah, I'm probably the same genetic. way. Well, I, well, I wanted to, let's take a step back then. Let's talk about you served just a tad bit of time in Cuba, from what I understand, born there, but then Pinochet kicked your father out or something to that effect. Yeah, absolutely right. So my dad and Pinochet were not the greatest friends. My my dad was um, completely against his way of being. Let right. Me put it that way. Can can you summarize what that may mean? What he was opposed to, your father. Well, you know, when all of that happens, you know, I just happened to was, I, I was born in Cuba, but I have no recollection of it. You yeah. know, I left there when I was a year and a half. Okay, so very, very young. Some, somewhere around, funny enough, in about two weeks, I'm going back for the first time since I was born. Would you be considered a citizen there? I think I have, uh, well, in the passport is stated that I was born there. That doesn't uh, give that I have double nationality. I see, okay. But, you know, having now um, a European citizenship, it opens up a lot of doors as well. 
because they they're all right with you guys it's <laughs> us it's us they have a problem with right? apparently so in fact when i was trying to buy the ticket um from us to cuba yeah they didn't allow me to neither to my partner we had to do it over the phone oh my gosh that's crazy which is crazy yeah which is crazy but it's all done all all good. done You're gonna visit in a way it's like this kind of beautiful reunion it is you it's, know you know kind of a pilgrim if yeah it, that's a, that's exactly right a pilgrimage back to where you were born yep but as you said only a year year and a half and you made your way then to chile right yes well i didn't make my way into chile they drove me back to <laughs> chile kind of thing like i <laughs> yeah. said i didn't have power of decision back then i was raised in chile the majority of my life until i was i don't know early 20s yeah. um but i kind of knew that it was something out there i kind of knew that the world was bigger than just you know what i was seeing there where does that come from tv movies your parents were they traveled curiosity what makes the difference you know between a man who look at the stars and say this is shiny things that they're just hanging from the ceiling right or people that they said i'm just a tiny piece of dust you know in a universe that is bigger than a me lust for life yeah yeah you know so some people come with the question some people might not that doesn't make one person better than the other i think it's just you can be more or less inquisitive that's right what kinds of things so as someone who has not yet been to chile what are some of the things that you did as a kid maybe that you got in trouble doing i was very good at that <laughs> I, i had a major um i come from a small town it's only a hundred thousand inhabitants after a little while you get to know everybody everybody gets to know you yeah it works very much by surnames and families so you know your family does this your family does the other family thing. name right yes That's, yeah yes the, the reputation name. reputation and that and that can work both ways you know it can work in a positive way or it can work in a negative way yeah. in my case i think i burned everything that i had the possibility to burn <laughs> So after, you know, <laughs> where, where did you get the motivation to, to feel that way? Was it just like this natural innate thing that to burn it down, watch it burn? No, the, I didn't have, you know, that kind of Roman thing. But the, I, you know, I made the most out of life. I enjoyed it. You know, I wasn't yeah. I wasn't shy. I wasn't, you know, um, short of trying new things. And, you know, over there, the the level of society was like either you have money or you didn't. Right. My family didn't. So this no middle ground, either money or no. It's kind of like days, it is here, yeah. In those days, it was a little bit more like that, you know. So in theory, you know, I didn't have the right to play with the rich boys or, you know, go around after the rich girls. Right. I didn't care. So I was just going for whatever I wanted to. I have friends in both ends of the city. Yeah. And they were really good friends until today, you know. That's why I got the feeling that, you know, if I'm capable of living a little bit of two worlds in just one city of 100,000 inhabitants, what about if I go and check out the world? the actual world yeah you know it's a lot wider than it is you know than you think you know and then you know back then i'm talking about you know nearly now 20 years ago um traveling it was more like a one-off experience you know having to go to europe it was very expensive this yeah. and the other nowadays traveling is a lot easier a lot okay. less expensive it's less expensive it's more affordable you know communications is everywhere you know you get to travel even sitting in your own computer you know right. also you know living in europe is, is, is marvelous in the, in the sense that you know Within three hours, you might cross three countries. That's right. Totally different ancient cultures. Absolutely. Germany, France, Belgium. I mean, yeah. it's mind-boggling to me because you leave Texas, you're in Oklahoma. You ever yep. been to Oklahoma? I have not. <laughs> ancient culture, it is not, Jorge. It is not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the pursuit, obviously, you've got this wanderlust to travel, learn more about cultures. You feel that there's this larger essence out there to be yep. taken did you feel like going to school 
was the best vehicle for that? Because it seems like you pursued proper university for some time. Well, what I did is essentially when I finished, you know, the, our regular school, which is equivalent of being uh, late 16, early 17 year old. Yeah. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to university then, but I said to my dad, I just spent 12 years of my life in school. You yeah. know? I need a year off at the very least. So how, how you, was he fine with that? No, he wasn't, but I just did it. <laughs> okay. uh, but then, you know, after doing nine months, ten months of nothing really, uh, my dad said, you need to get a job. Okay, Either you're going to go to university or you need to get a job. So All I right. got a job working with him as, um, uh, in the forest industry. My dad is a forest engineer nowadays. And Dude. I was the guy with the chainsaw. Oh, I, interesting. I okay. wasn't, you know, particularly um, the Friday the 13th guy. Right, right. But uh, what was it called him? Uh, uh, Leatherface. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Leatherface. But I was working in the countryside, you know, and then I was planting trees, cutting trees, doing the whole thing. Um, did, did, you, did you find that beyond what might be considered a punk attitude or a rebelliousness, that being in nature, was that therapeutic or was it just, Abs I'm just doing work? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it gave me, you know, an understanding that, you know, I needed to remain humble as much as I could. You know, I, you know when, I, when you get to work in the countryside and you actually... Uh, get away from the city for larger periods of time, like six months at the time, maybe, yeah. you know, you get to understand, you know, that the, this, the simplicity of living in the countryside is something absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And there is a lot of things that you have in your surroundings that you might not know or you might not realize. That's right. So that gave me a lot of, I don't know, humbleness and, and strength at the same time. Do you I like, do you like spending, uh, I meet a lot of people that are very introspective thinkers. Mm -hmm. Do you like that kind of solace in being in nature? Just kind of taking that time to yourself, the quiet. I do. The way I play uh, normally is that because my job demands from me that I travel quite a bit. A lot. Yeah. Uh, I have a, a good balance or I find a good balance. Back back home in uh, Barcelona, I don't live in Barcelona itself. I live um, around an hour and a half driving. I live oh, in the really? middle of the countryside. Oh, yeah. no kidding. My closest neighbor is about... Half of kilometer. Oh, that's correct. That's a that's amazing. Do you grow things on your land out there? I grow things in my land. Uh, my pets are two massive dogs that they are around eighty kilos each one of them, and I have a pet pig, mm. which um, I was lied because they told me that it's going to remain as a shoes shoe size box, and <laughs> is bigger than a table. A gorilla. Yes, he <laughs> yeah. absolutely hates me. <laughs> but you, but it, they're, they're cute. It's hard to... to well, they make good pets, you know? They're cute when they're little. You know, this yeah. guy is over 120 kilos Holy now. shit, are you kidding me? Yeah, he's like a little panzer tank. You oh, know, my he God. He just <laughs> walks straight forward. And he just knock you right over, right? Absolutely hates my guts. What? what? I can't even imagine why. Well, he hates you my guts because... Him? No, the thing is, that, you know, when it arrived, he was very little. And then my wife, you know, took him like if he was a little baby, give right. him a bottle, this, the other. He loves her, his little mind, you know, he sees my wife and he's... In, Right, when this guy is around, I get to see less of her. Oh. So in his, you know, his equation is like, I need to get rid of the guy. That makes sense. Well, that's what a second son is. Well, that's my brother. I tried to kill him when he was born. There you go. Get him away from my mom <laughs> as soon as possible, right? So you get it. I do get it. Well, that makes some sense. And I, I like that because you have both the metropolitan lifestyle, because at some point, you, when you get done working in the forest in Chile, is that the move into London? Is that the next move after that? Just after that is when I actually took the time to go for a while to university. Yeah. And university was a great experience. And don't get me wrong, I think I got the most out of it. 
But at the same time, I got disappointed, particularly of that university specifically. So that what? was the thing that very quickly decided to move forward. And I, I didn't hesitate. You what, know. what were you looking for that it didn't give you? I think I was looking for something a little bit more of a, an answer at the time and something more inspirational. Interesting. You know? The answers, later on I find out that I needed to figure out for myself, so it's fine. Like, but a, like a voyage, a journey, right? Absolutely. But also the one thing that it really uh, kind of frustrated me was that I didn't find in the people that they were teaching me um, the motivation. Oh. Uh, they, I think they were not completely passionate about what they were doing. They were just more, you know, developing the task. They were just, you know, delivering, you know, so information. So you could see right through it. I don't know if I could see. I, I might be completely wrong, you know, but this is what I felt at the time. Yeah. I felt that it was the right thing for me to actually leave that. And that's the decision I took. I take full responsibility for it. But look at me. You know, I cannot complain. You know, nowadays I get to travel quite a bit. You know, right. I'm, I got plenty of friends that they did the whole thing of five, seven years university. Sure. Right, and they might be enclosed in an office for the rest of their life now. Right. Okay. I didn't finish university. Shackle. And I'm here, right here with you. I in mean, the middle of Austin. Austin. You know, yeah. far away from both Chile and Barcelona. That's right. And, and London. An, and, and anywhere. And loving it. Yeah. It's a brilliant shift. London makes one. London is one of my favorite places in the world. So is mine. Many different reasons: the fashion, the stoicism. Yep. Very, very stiff upper lip, which I really appreciate. Because in America, we're a little bit too brazen mm-hmm. sometimes. But for you, what was the lure of London? I found true cosmopolitan life. Yeah. Um, I find that London was welcoming, even though that it can be a harsh city. I find motivation as well. Yeah. I find, you know, after being a bartender in some other places, I realized that all I was doing it was just mixing some juices and some stuff. Right. But in London, I find out that, you know, the level of... Uh, professionalism, it was so high that you were demanded to become a little expert into whatever it was your thing that you were doing. Yeah. And you needed to remain, you know, completely uh, like a really key, important part of the business that you were taking part. Yeah, discipline too. So yeah. I was working for a tequila place, as you already know, uh, Cafe Pacifico. And I thought I knew about tequila. All I knew it was oh, to throw people crazy and violent. School you there, right? Yeah. And then I realized, you know, there was, was so much to it. Yeah. That I actually got passionate and I got to, you know, openly think, you know, the one person that really put that passion into me was Tom Estes. Yeah. Uh, was kind of a mentor. And then I realized, I want to be a little bit like this guy. I want to be very confident about knowing about what I do, yeah. feeling passion for what I do and being able to communicate it. Can, so, and, and I know you've heard, I've, I've read some time, in a couple of places where you said that Tom, and I agree, Tomas is one of the most eloquent speakers that I've been in a room with, just how po- poised he is. But for guys that don't know Tomas, that have not been able to spend time with him, describe what that was like for you, just being in a room and having those intimate moments with him. I'll describe it with a very short story. I was working <laughs> there with um, only for a few weeks, so I was still kind of in a uh, trying period. Yeah. And one day, they ha- I had to open the bar at 12 o'clock in the morning. Uh, Tomas arrived with some, you know, kind of very old ripped T-shirt and some jeans. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. He put a little bag suitcase on top of the um, bar. We weren't even completely open yet. Yeah. And he pulled two bottles of tequila, cracked them open, and he goes, hey, let's drink some tequila. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, we're closed. And also, we actually sell tequila. I cannot just drink tequila with you because you brought a couple of bottles. Right. And he goes, oh, uh, maybe I should introduce myself. <laughs> oh. And then he goes, I'm Tom, but let's drink some tequila. And then I kind of 
joined things together and yeah. I thought, this is the actual owner of the guy. You know, and he yeah, was yeah. like a complete mental case that he just <laughs> arrived from the street. You know, dresses, you know. Looks tattered, right? Like Absolutely. punk rock. Like, yeah, oh yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Loved every bit of it. You know, his yeah. natural charisma yeah. that he has, the way he expressed himself, he's so down to earth. That motivated me. And then, you know, if you actually pick the guy he's wearing, you know, he knows a shed load. He does. You know? But he never beats you over the head with it. Nope. You know, that is one of the things you talk about humility, mm -hmm. nature humbling us, working hard and manual labor humbling us. Do you think in your travels in this bar industry that there isn't a sense, a lack of humility in people? Well, you know, it very much depends on each person. You know, I think um, this is another thing that London gives me every time, time and time again, which is um, it doesn't matter what I think or what I know that, or what I think that I know. Yeah. Every time I go back to London, I realize that I know nothing. And wow. it, there is so much to learn. You know, there are, you know, new generations, you know, way after me that, you know, they are being absolutely groundbreaking Why they're still being able to keep up, you know, with an excellent type of service. Right. And that is absolutely fantastic to it's be slapped on the ability. face by a city yeah. and being able to recognize and saying, well, there is still a lot for me to learn. Yeah. You know, and that is absolutely great. You talk about agave. There's so much to learn. This world is so vast with agave. And we have this just beautifully strategic location in Texas because we're so close to Mexico. Yes, you are. We share the terroir. And it's just, it's, it's lovely. So for you working at Cafe Pacifico, was that a chapter, a distinct chapter that really, really piqued your interest in agave? It not only piqued my interest in agave, it piqued my interest in the industry in general. Bartending is one thing, then, you know, the knowledge of spirit, uh, understanding production process. Yeah. Having the desire to know more about raw material, mm. where things come from. Okay, If you're not capable of understanding what you have in your plate, how can you be a critic of that? Right. How can you have a judgment on something that you don't fully understand? Where is it coming from? Right, How has right. it been raised? What properties that they, do they have? Right. And I'm not saying that you should be an expert on everything because that's an impossibility. But I'm saying the things that you like and you, do, you discover that you love, you should find out some more. Mm. Information has never been so, so available like it is today. You know, Absolutely. It's at the reach right. of your hand. If you can do it in a first-hand experience and travel to the source of things, that's beautiful. If you cannot, reach out. Yeah. Talk to other people that they know better than you. See, in the internet, you know, Wikipedia yeah. doesn't know it all, but it helps for it's sure. It, absolutely. And for you having these vast resources, are you the kind of guy that dives deep into a topic, wants to learn so much about it? I am. I'm a little bit obsessive. Obsessive composite, maybe. That's right. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I know the feeling. I know. Yeah. Like I said, and the other thing that, you know, I was mentioning before is that I think nowadays generation, you know, is, um, Bartending, for example, is absolutely thriving, which is a beautiful thing. You know, we are living in what so-called is um, the second golden era of bartending. That's right, yeah. Which is, I think, it's a, it might be a pretentious name, but I, I am proud to be a little bit part of that. But I also think that, you know, bartenders need to put their heads above, the, above their shoulders and they need to put some effort. You know, there are some bartenders that they think that bec just because they participated or won a competition, they don't cut limes. They right. don't clean fridges. They're better than that. They don't have to still pay their dues. It's not like that. You know, it's all about service. That's right. It's all about, you know, the effort that I can do behind the bar to make your life a little bit better. Yeah. A little bit at a time. So when you think about people, customers, mm -hmm. patrons, do you love people? Do you enjoy people? 
I enjoy people, but at the same time, I'm a little bit selfish. I enjoy the sensation that I get of being able to multitask in front of a little crowd uh. and being able to perform a number of drinks. When you are bartending and, you know, the night is, you know, rocking and it's hot, you know, right, and you're right. busy and you're multitasking and all that, you have a little audience. When you were asking earlier on, do you feel like a rock star? Perhaps the closest thing that I feel to a rock star is if I'm doing a guest bartending shift mm. on a Friday night in a hot spot, you know, and the bar, bar is busy, the drinks are good, you know, and people is actually enjoying, and for one second you step back, even if it's a split second, and you look at your crowd, they are happy to be served by you, That's by right. what you're doing. And you're nothing special, because tomorrow it will be another bartender yeah. as good or as better as you are. But for that but moment. But for that moment, that's beautiful. You're the maestro. That, that moment makes you feel special. And everybody likes to feel special. Do you get that on the road? That moment of performance? Yes, it's a little bit more introspective. You know, I get to present a lot in public. Um, I think I have learned a trick or two after, you know, a few years of doing it. Yeah. Uh, and that is fine. But I, I get more joy and more uh, reward of actually, if I present in front of, say, 20, 30 people, Right, the one person who stays after the presentation until the very end just mm. to ask you that extra question, just to say, or even to disagree with you and saying, you know what, I'm not agreeing with this point that you presented in this moment, blah blah blah. Right. Right? That makes me feel happy because it means that perhaps somebody else, you know, will be able to be as eager right. and as geeky as I am, and even more. You want to relate with people, don't you? I want to relate with people. I do too. It's you walk into a room and you don't know anybody, but you start talking about Mescal. Mm -hmm. You start talking about Tomas. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have a friend just immediately, you know? So it makes me wonder this, you have this ability to perform. You have this ability to captivate a Friday night crowd. So what became appealing about becoming a brand ambassador? What was that transition like for you? What were you thinking about that? Again, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't in the plan. Well, it was a choice always, but sure. uh, it wasn't in the plan. So I was working in Cafe Pacifico, and then one day I just felt that I, I love Pacifico to the, the very core of myself, but yeah. I just wanted to have a little bit more of a daytime job. I was having the feeling that I wasn't getting to know London, among other things. Oh, I was just going there to work very long hours right. because I'm obsessive. Um and then not being able to enjoy the city and the rest of Europe and the rest of the world. Right. So I give my notice, I give a very unique notice. I said, I won't, I'm going to quit in a year's time. Mm. If you guys want me to leave now because I'm quitting, that's fine. But if not, I can stay 365 days until you find somebody else and we can train them together. Mm. So I give the longest notice ever, you know, and I accomplish that. I stay for an extra year, you know, after I said that. So when I did that, I talked to a couple of friends and, you know, my friends were asking the normal question, what are you going to do next? Right. And sure. said, well, I don't know. And then they said, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I have a little bit of a conundrum because I want a dating job, but I don't want to miss 100% the mischievous part of the night. Right. You know, I am a black cat in one way or another. You know? <laughs> so, you know, Starting having, trouble, right? having a little bit of that night thing is a beautiful thing. And a, a friend of mine came around who used to be my ex-bar manager in Cafe Pacifico when I arrived. Mm. He was working at the time for Cuervo, uh, the tequila company, and he said, I might have the job for you. So the job was a brand ambassador at the time, locally, just for Barcelona. Right. So after, you know, making a deal and, you know, evaluating all the possibilities and the pros and cons, I moved to Barcelona and I became a brand ambassador. Did you feel that your time in London was, was done or was it cut short? 
I thought that it was cut short, but you know, life has its ways and goes around, man. You know, what actually happened is that nowadays, thanks to the time in Cuervo and also thanks to the time in the company that I am now, yeah. Vanguard, I get to go to London once or twice a month. Oh, that's incredible. So I'm enjoying London perhaps more now than I was when I was living in London. It's because a when more I was living in London, I was just going to work right now i'm going there and i get to decide i'm going to visit this area i'm going to yeah. go to the new opening i'm going to catch up with old friends i'm going to go and see a little bit of culture uh music this the other so great i get to see the best and if it rains for too many days i go back home that's right yeah. for someone who hasn't yet been to barcelona it seems like an interesting move for you a brilliant culture you're living out in the country i hear it's lovely what what is it like to be in the Barcelona nightlife? Barcelona is great. It's a walkable city. You know, within a day or a day and a half, you can actually go all the way from, you know, the beginning of the city, which are the mountains, and then go all the way down to the beach. Yeah, wow. Okay, so it's very sizable. Uh, it's very well organized and structured. Gastronomy is absolutely thriving. Mm. Way ahead of the curve comparing to cocktail. Um, oh, but El, El the Bulli, cocktail, right? El Bulli is yeah. one of the yeah. big deal things. Uh, but cocktail scene is picking up. And the nice thing is that it's actually one way or another, you know, it's becoming a thing of its own, you know, it's got its own personality. It's not just a copy of, you know, other bigger city. It's not just a copy of London. It's not just a copy of New York. Mm -hmm. It's actually becoming something with its own personality. And it's beautiful to see that. And the nice thing is that because gastronomy has always been thriving in Catalonia or that area, the north of Spain, right. Um, bartenders, they have an approach that is... Culinary forward? Culinary, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So uh, very much focused on technique, focused on flavor. It is focused on technique, it is focused in, on flavor as well, but uh, I will say that at the same time, you know, they're trying to look... And this might be a little bit of a... Um, you know, you might hate it or you might love it, but they're always trying to look for the latest crazy ingredient. Mm. You know, the new fruit that just arrived. Right. The latest super food that, you know, is on the list. Yeah. Kind of thing. Next big thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that I guess that makes it a little bit innovative. Yeah. If you're always grasping for something new. Yeah. And I hear gin and tonics are a massive, massive thing. Gin and tonic is the number one thing. It completely changed the game. Uh, not only Barcelona, but Spain in general. Uh, it's been... For many years, they, they, they have culture, uh, culture in cocktails, and they have some very old places, you know, some very old-school bars yeah. that they were more similar, whether if they were or not inside the hotel, but they were more similar to a hotel service. Interesting, okay. okay so, like, very formal cocktail right. making, okay? But then, you know, everything started to change. The, the, the theory that I have is that the gin and tonic has always been there, of course, you know, but the old people, they used to drink gin tonics, and then the chefs, they took that from their fathers and grandfathers, mm. and they said, I want to drink like everybody else, but I cannot be drinking just beer or rum and coke right. in the kitchen. It so will, you know, make me bloated or it will kill my palate. That's right, yeah. So yeah. gin and tonic is more crystal. It's more, you know... Effervescent. Effervescent, you know. It doesn't absolutely cover your palate because it's got this dry and sweetness kind of thing, sure. you know. I never so thought about it in terms of a, pal a mousse-bouche. Yes, Yeah. absolutely. So a chef will drink gin and tonic. Right, but the chef drinking a gin and tonic, he, the chef's got one quality above other uh, industries or other professionals, which is they got always a 
basic or advanced understanding of science. Mm. So the chef said, I'm in Spain, which is hot. I'm in the kitchen, which is double hot. Mm -hmm. I need a glass that can hold a very large amount of ice so I can have the iceberg effect. More ice, less dilution. So they ask for a Cabernet Sauvignon glass. Very, very uh, ample. That's right. Very and wide. they ask for a lot of ice in it. So if you were lucky enough to go back on the day to a place like El Bulli, yeah, and then say, right, you spend four, five, six hundred euros in just one dinner. Mm -hmm. If we're lucky enough, at the end of the dinner, you know, somebody like Ferran, and I'm not saying that he was the inverter of the gin and tonic, but somebody like Ferran right, right. will come out to your table and say, well, thank you for coming to my place and spending your wages here. But, and then you will have a look and he will be drinking a gin and tonic in a wine glass. And that's you will amazing. be thinking, what is the chef drinking and why am I not drinking Why am I not drinking that? Yeah, that's right. Did you ever, were you ever able to go to El Bui? I have been to every other place. When I arrived to Barcelona, El Bulli was about to Just close. Just about to close, yeah. And since then, I have one of my dearest friends uh, and uh, 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 colleagues who is the general, the line manager, uh, bar manager for all the things Adria. Oh, okay. man. Yeah. So I've been to every other place that Ferran and his brother Albert had opened. Yeah, yeah. Except for El Bulli. Ah. And unless I can travel in time, you know, it's I'm not going to be It's like able. I almost saw Nirvana in 92. Oh, well, I was it, so close, right? And then you go back and you're like, well, I've seen the Foo Fighters, right? You know, but, but I never got to see yep. the original lineup. And I love that, that I'll never get to have seen that. You know, there's something about that. Absolutely. And, you know, in short, you know, gin and tonic, you know, it, it became a big thing. You know, the brands started taking over that, uh, that uh, idea of the big balloon glass gin tonic, yeah. a lot of ice, a little bit of garnish, you know, cooking a gin tonic, you know, not just taking, you know, a gun, with all my respect, you know, but a gun with tonic and a gin and going, there you go, that's 10, 12, 15 dollars. Okay, but being able to take the time to cook it in front of you. One advantage, if you might, that the bartenders have against chef yeah. is the bartenders, they get to do the thing in front of the customers. That's okay, right. they are not back, back there in, in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're the face of the, the bar. So that theater became quite a thing, you mm -hmm. know. And then the new movement it was that you know people started understanding you know that gin tonic it could be a great thing. There were so many gins showing at the same time, you know, and everybody will say, "I like that gin with that tonic in that glass with that type of ice," you know, and I wanted you know steer counterclockwise. Counterclockwise. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, wow, how can people be so specific about these kind of things? You know, and it became a massive, massive thing. The the beautiful thing, the result of that is. People started to trust their bartender more, and the bartender again gained momentum and respect. Before, 10, 15 years ago, in Spain, a bartender was a guy who just didn't went to university and had to get a summer job. Right, a dropout. That's yeah. how it was here. Yeah. And now we revere these people, which is great because, again, they're, great. they're composers, they're maestros. I, w I don't know about, about <laughs> that. I, 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 think, I think they've got a, a compositional spirit. I think the so. Too. You know, the combination of flavors so. and colors and textures. Going back to London, you know, London is a place that, you know, for many years, you know, it's been ahead of the curve in the cocktail uh, scene. Yeah. And in London, you know, I have seen a bartender sitting at the same table with a doctor and an engineer. And when the doctor and the engineer asked the bartender, what do you do? And he said, it's a bartender in London that is respected. Yeah. You know, that is a beautiful thing. You know? I, I love the shift there because... Creativity should be rewarded. Yes, and it shouldn't be rewarded or recognized only by your payslip. That's right. That's right. 
do you so talking about what might be your definition of success money isn't a motivator for you is it it's secondary yeah it's an important thing you know what money gives me is the possibility to buy time ah time is in essence time is something very important that's right and the only way apparently that you can buy time is either if you are super organized not my case <laughs> or if you can have money to then buy time yeah okay so would I like to get more money like everybody else probably a little bit more I don't have big expectations I don't need a Ferrari I don't need two TVs in fact I don't even have one TV but you know if I can provide the ones that are around me with certain tranquility if I can be able to yes sure travel but also have time to spend with the ones that I love, you know, and not just work for a living or living for work, you know, it makes a difference. It's true. And that is motivating for me. So how does all of th this culmination of your inquisitive mind, working in nature, working behind the bar, being a performer, being a brand ambassador, how does this transition into this latest role with Jin Murray? Mm -hmm. so yeah. Well, the cool thing it was when I was working for the Cuervo people, mm -hmm. I did that first in Barcelona and then rapidly moved, end up doing a global brand ambassador thing, which it was great. But it was a very short portfolio. It was all tequila. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I like tequila. But it became very quickly a thing of I was just repeating myself. I was pressing play in a different country. Every time that we got to revise the objectives at the end of the year, yeah. they will give me more territory but no more of an intellectual challenge. Interesting. So that, in some point, I said, guys, love you, but I'm going to have to leave. Yeah. So I quit it. Are you familiar with the term typecast? No. Nope. Movies. Movies. So it's the guy who plays the same role in every movie. Ah. And eventually he's like, fuck this. I got to get a bigger role. I've got to do something challenging. John Travolta, for example, Pulp yep. Fiction, yep. shifted his whole role, his whole career. And so for you... For me, it was that... Uh, I took a year off. I did something that I feel quite proud of. All the money that I have saved until that point, I spent it all in one year. Just going back to London. I was, remember, I was living in Barcelona. I went back to London and I went and spoke to all the bars that I loved the most. Yeah. Not only Pacifico, but... Uh, Nightjar, right? Nightjar, Calucale, uh, Savoy, Milk and Honey, a number of other bars, 69 Colbrook Road, and I asked them for a job. But I said, I just want to work a couple of weeks. And I, if you don't want to pay me, that's fine. I just want to learn from you. I don't yeah. want to copy your ideas. I just want to learn from you. Wow. So I did nearly a year of doing guest shift. Okay. Staging? And I worked is that they use that staging, yeah. yes. Uh, so I did nearly a year of that. In the meanwhile, I already had a good relation with the people of what, is, what it is today, the brand, uh, the brand owners of uh, Jim Mare and mm -hmm. some other products, Vanguard. We had a good relation. And they wanted me to be part of their project that I understood very quickly with these guys that they're, you know, they're, they don't stay still. They keep moving. Moving and forward, hopefully. Moving right? forward. Yeah. And, you know, they want to always try to do products that they're a little bit outside the box. Yeah. Even if it's within a well-known or established category, they want to bring something new to the table. And what they offered to me is they said, sure, you can do the brand ambassadorial part, which I still do. But your job is going to be a lot more complex than that. We want you to participate in searching for the new trend. We want you to participate and work, work actively. Your research. That's 
actively yeah. with the master distiller to create the juice. We want you to be involved, you know, with your colleagues from marketing, mm. from trade marketing to, you know, applying marketing into tools that the trade will understand. Yeah. You know, so it was a very much 360 operation. That kept me going till today because one of my main motivations has to be an intellectual challenge. Mm. If I get bored, I become dangerous. Um, Because I know you're married. How does your wife feel about that eternal pursuit for intellectual stimulation? Well, she's very good at doing that for me, with me. Good. That's, That's why we're still together, you know, after so many years. Yeah. You know, so she knows how to give me my space. And at the, at the same time, I try my very best that when I'm at home, I really am at home. Present. I really am with them. Yeah. You know. That's a good, I mean, it's a good balance to strike. It's an intense life. I can tell. I can tell you that <laughs> yeah. you know, because you gotta give a hundred percent out there in the job, That's out right. on the route, and then you gotta give a hundred percent when you are back home. You cannot just go back home and just sleep through a weekend and go. Right. Well, I needed to catch up with sleep. You know, you, you need have to, to make the best of those that time. You need to be with the, with your wife. You need to make the most out of it. You need to be with the horrible pig that I have. You, <laughs> need, to, you need to walk with dogs. Oh, well, at least when you're gone, she's got the pig, right? <laughs> 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 I don't know how you feel about it. <laughs> so how long have you been with the Gin Moray company now? I've been from the early beginning. It's now going to be nearly seven years. Seven years? Seven years. That's uh, incredible. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I'm super happy. You know, we're always developing new products. We're always, you know, onto something. You know, right now we have three spirits. So we have Gin Mare, We have our own Cachaza, Capucana. Okay. We have Isabel Regina, which is our own brandy cognac with the finish of Pedro Jimenez, PX Wine. Yeah. We have also our own tonic water, our own water, water, and our own beer. But we're already cooking into some other things. I cannot tell you all the details about it. I'll research it. I'm investigative. I'll figure it out. I realize that already. <laughs> but that's exciting. Yes, it, it gives is. you this creative, these creative liberties. You get to travel, meet wonderful people. But I want to, you know, I want to ask you something that you're a smart guy, and Thank I you. could, I feel like you have a little punk rock in you. <laughs> are you a big fan of chuck norris i saw that somewhere you had mentioned being a uh it's like if i can be a bartender that's good but being chuck norris wouldn't be half bad either yes <laughs> i think chuck norris is the it's not who he is or what he did it's a representation you know yeah. of being able to you know be yourself and be tough with the things that they come at you yeah, and, uh, I mean, if you get beaten up very quickly, you know, then you know you need to pick up the pieces every time and time again. Sometimes you need to create a little bit of uh, a persona, if yeah, you might. Absolutely. And you, that persona will protect you for certain things. Yeah, many lyricists, many songwriters. Yeah. They put up that wall, the lyrical wall. Yeah. So that people can't peer too deep into who they really are. Yeah. Do you think? Being on the road, being in front of people, being a performer of sorts, do you think people really get to know who you truly are? Like your wife does, for example. I try to be as honest as I can, but uh, that can get me also into trouble sometimes because to me it's a big difference and it's very simple to understand. You know, um, I get to meet, and I'm not exaggerating, you know, I'm not trying to show off, but sure. I, in a single trip that I do of maybe 10 days, perhaps I'm meeting over 300 people. That's right, yeah. Okay. And, you know, getting properly introduced. This is this, this is such and such, this right. is such and such. You know, um, 
it's difficult a to remember faces against names yeah you know but you know i try to be honest with them you know and i try to follow up in a professional manner uh if they need me for something related to work that's fine mm. if i get along with them and i'm having a blast and maybe i go out and get drunk with them you sure. know and have a crazy party time you know it might be a next level but i got a very clear idea of who are my friends right yeah. friendship is not something that comes immediately it's something that you need to for me it's something that you need to raise that's right you know so it takes time so for me just going hey mate i really like you and i have a great time with you and we enjoy a beer you and i were friends forever no we're not yeah you have to be a little bit uh, hesitant you need to be a little bit hesitant and i think you know friendships are built of not only good experiences and laughter and you know a little bit of dizziness mm -hmm. they are built also about big fuck-ups you know and going through tough ups shit. and down yeah, yeah you have to don't you know when things fair weather friends that's the term we use here you know yep. as long as the weather's good you're around but once it gets rainy you're fucking out yep. of there yeah I, it's, I, i'm with you and uh, i you know i define it another way it's like you know if tomorrow is work who i who i want you know next to me yeah you know, would i trust this person you know would i call it to my you know my team that's kind right. of thing you know yeah the and inner that circle defines. yes so when i just have a few more questions yeah, for yeah, you. yeah the first is what kinds of things inspire you when you're back home so what do you derive it is it film even though you don't have a tv is it music is it art what kinds of things do you really use to be inspired no cliche man but uh, there are a few things you know my family is extremely important more than ever now i have a baby daughter oh. uh, yes she's called maya from maya well maya you know well. how old is she now in honor from tequila yeah, goddess yeah. um she's two and a half nearly three uh she's a beautiful little girl and she's uh she's my little heart yeah so that that you know that simple fact gave me new energy mm. you know to approach things differently uh of course when i mean in my family i mean also my wife but to me nature very important yeah. i need a little bit of nature i need to be able to walk into the forest every now and again i'm not a guy that enjoys so much the beach yeah. uh i'm not a guy for Swimming in the swimming pool, but I'm a mountain guy. I need my nature. I, I need mountains. my. I yeah. need the mountain. Yeah, the green, the the smelling those trees. I need that. Yeah. I need that in my life all the time. Uh, besides that, a uh, few friends, a barbecue, glass of wine. I don't drink when I'm at home. I only have a glass of wine. I, that's a lot of people are very similar. On the road, they'll drink, but when they head back, they do not. Maybe yep. a beer now and again. Just people you would never suspect either. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure that people think that, you know, I brush my teeth with gin tonic. <laughs> you know. yeah. But when I'm back, I'm back home, you know, I have a little glass of, you know, some real down to earth, simple, cheap uh. wine sometimes. And that's all I need. You know. Brush your teeth with Iberico, him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cinema as well. Uh, I don't have a TV, but I have a lovely projector. And every now and again, I get my phones and I put the projector even outside in the garden. Do you have original cuts like original uh maybe 16 millimeter i don't have 16 sure. millimeters but you know i i just you know get the, the films and i put it through the projector oh, I and okay. i watch the you know i think uh my two-year-old daughter is already getting the hint of it you know she she likes to sit with me and watch something every now and again. i'm sure almodovar comes up every now and again right yes yes <laughs> well the last question i've got for you because yes. i don't have any idea how you'd answer this so let's say you're sipping whatever you want, whether it's sherry, whether it's wine, gin and tonic, anywhere in the world. And you could sit there and share a drink 
with anybody living or deceased, who would you love to sit there and have a conversation and a drink with? Well, I know it's, it's a kind of question that some people ask, but honest? Yeah. I never got asked this question, so you caught me a little bit on guard, but nonetheless, um, I'll start the other way around. I would like to have a drink with Frank Zappa. That's it. perfect. I would love to have a drink with Frank Zappa. Um, what, about, what about Mr. Zappa would you want to talk about? Well, Zappa had a very broad, you know, perspective in many things. He was involved not only in music and, you know, a little bit of even philosophy and avant-garde, you know, culture and even politics. That's right, yeah. Uh, I would like to talk a little bit of a miscellaneous with him. You know, I would like to understand his perspective and think. Amazingly enough, you know, Frank Zappa, with all his craziness, he, he was not the guy into drugs. Never. It's, w- it's almost perplexing, right? That it, from a sober place... He created such insanity sonically. He said, uh, my drugs are titties and beer. That's right. Which I found just amazing. <laughs> so I probably have a, you know, I probably have a beer and a shot with him, yeah. you know, which is the more simple and more relevant, uh, sometimes uh, bartending cocktail. Yeah. When you are a bartender, or similar to that, a brand ambassador, and you get to travel, you, let, you get to, tr- uh, to try some beautiful cocktails, don't get me wrong. And I enjoy my cocktails. But it's important for a... Uh, people like me to have a beer and a shot yeah it's kind of your little it's the lifeblood yes it is so i will have a beer and a shot with frank Zappa. excellent really really excellent man or hey you know i know you didn't know me now i do a uh, bit more now a little bit more and it's just a pleasure chatting with you all the way from barcelona sipping this martini ah salut really appreciate it fantastic same here thank Thank you you for the opportunity likewise pleasure Well, there we have it. What do you guys think of Mr. Jorge Balbontin, a man of the media, a man of gin, spreading the good word in Texas about gin, Murray, a very fine gin. Nice complexity to it. You know, I love gins. I'm pretty outspoken about that. It was great to sip and chat with Jorge and talk about, really, this not a complex life, but a very pensive one, one that is in the moment, one that is perhaps the result of reaction or counter-revolution. So many different opportunities for Jorge and so many people he's met. It's, it was really an intriguing conversation, and he's a very articulate, well-spoken guy. And I hope if I'm in Barcelona soon, Jorge will get to share a drink. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter which flavor of pre-workout is your favorite, I'm leaning towards the blue raspberry or if you're wondering can house of cards really pull off another compelling season even though the first episode was a bit slow please keep dancing